as we continue diving deep, uh, really going beneath the surface into what it kind of what it looks like to be sold out followers of Jesus, to have that sold out allegiance to Jesus Christ. We've been talking about this for the last several weeks. We're going to be talking about it for the next several weeks, if not the next couple of months anyway. Um, I want to revisit a subject this morning that I am very much aware we have already covered in the past, but it's a subject I really don't think that we can talk about too much. Um, There's a couple of reasons that I want to emphasize it this morning. Number one, just like we've been doing the last several weeks, we're diving deep. We've scratched the surface level on a lot of this stuff over the last couple of years, uh, what it looks like to be a disciple, what it looks like to be a follower, what it looks like to have real, true allegiance to Jesus. But we've really just touched the surface. We've really just scratched it. So what we're doing, what I want to do, what I, I hope we're doing anyway, is we're, we're, we're getting beneath the surface. We're getting to all, to, really to the nitty-gritty, if you will. Um, because Christ didn't call us to be casual observers. Christ called us to be disciples. Christ called us to be followers. And uh, I don't think that he, that he mints his words about a lot of this stuff. So anyway, the subject that I want to talk to you guys about, and again, very aware we've talked about this before, is loving our enemies. Y'all, y'all probably picked up on that in my pastoral prayer this morning as we were starting the service. Loving our enemies. I want to talk about this more in depth than we already have for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, as we have noted before, as I've noted before when I've talked about this subject, this is, this is one of the hardest Commands one of the hardest teachings, if not the hardest teaching of Jesus Christ for us to live out. No doubt about that. I don't deny that all day long. But secondly, um, it also tends to be one of those subjects, one of those teachings that we kind of think that we can just gloss over a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we get this idea that, you know, all, all this stuff about Jesus is good, being a disciple is real good, but surely he can't be serious about this one, right? Surely Jesus didn't really mean for us to love and pray for the people that hurt us, the people who overlook us, the people who do us wrong, the people who turn our backs on us, right? Surely he didn't mean that. I think that's the attitude that we kind of have a lot of times, and that, that's okay. That's a, that's a human attitude. We're flawed creatures. But yes, absolutely. The answer is yes, emphatically. Yes, Jesus absolutely meant everything that he said. He actually wants and he expects us to do, to be these things as those who call Jesus Lord. Let me just remind you of a couple instances in which he gives us this command. The first one comes out of Luke. Luke chapter 6, 27, 28. Here are the words of Christ. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Here's another quote from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. Now understand this. All of us, the vast majority of us who are in this sanctuary this morning, know, have heard this before, if not time and time and time again. We know these are the words of Christ. But know this also. These are not only the words of Jesus. This was not some crazy new thing that he was teaching. This was a very, very old teaching. Loving your enemies, doing good for those who who hurt you, is ages old. It was ages old in Judaism. It is ages old in Christianity, all the way back to the New Testament. And you see this teaching all the way from from the OT, all the way throughout the New Testament, after after Jesus' ascension. We're going to talk about that a little bit in a second. Uh, We go back to Leviticus, that, that scary, scary book. Leviticus, right? Leviticus 19, 18 says this, Do not seek revenge. Do not bear a grudge against anybody among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18 is where Jesus 
gets his response when he's asked, what's the greatest commandments? And he quotes this scripture out of Leviticus 19.18. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Here's, and here it is. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it stretches all the way back, folks. This has always been a teaching. This, is, this has always been part of the will of God. It's not only these, these instances of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. It's the will of God. You, you fast forward a little bit in the New Testament, and you see the Apostle Paul writing it over and over and over again. Love your enemies. Do good for those who persecute you. I'm going to read to you one, 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 uh, one particular instance of that that comes out of the book of Romans, and it's in Romans 12. Y'all may have noticed recently that I've quoted Romans 12 a, a, a pretty good deal here. Go and read Romans 12 when you get a chance. It's not that long, but this, to me, this is just one of, the, one, of the, one of the coolest instructions for the church. Now, remember what I talked about last week when I talked about biblical interpretation. Yes, there is an individual instruction here when we're reading these words, but there is also group instruction. Remember who these letters were written to, right? They were not written to me. They were not written to a single individual. They were written to communities. These are instructions for the church as a whole. They're instructions, for, of course, for us as individuals. But this is, Romans 12 is so much about the church and how we, how we think, how we act, how we speak, how we operate. How we operate as what? How we operate as disciples of Jesus Christ. Primarily, And you see a lot of similarities in Paul's teaching in Romans 12 and Jesus' teaching, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. But this is towards the end of Romans 12, starting in verse 17 through 21. And this is where he gets, Paul gets to this idea of enemy love. Keep in mind, this is written to all of us. Not a handful, not, not me as an individual only. All of us. Starting in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Does that sound familiar? Seems like somebody else just said that. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here we go again, all the way back to Leviticus 19.18. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave, rooms for God, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. By the way, this right here, this is also a quote from the Old Testament. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And last but not least, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Word of God for the people of God. So all of these readings, all of these teachings that we see over and over and over again, stretching from the Old Testament all the way, all the way through the New Testament, Church, this has got to completely squash any idea or thought that we might have that loving our enemies is optional if we're actually going to call ourselves Christians, if we're actually going to call ourselves Christ followers. Paul makes it very clear right here. Disciples of Jesus are to leave all judgments to God. Our job is kingdom people. Our job is people who represent and reflect the kingdom of God on earth is to love and to serve our enemies in any way possible. What a hard pill to swallow that is. It's not to judge them, and it is certainly not to seek revenge or retaliation against them. Why would, why would God do this to us? 
I got a couple of thoughts on that. You know, I'm sure we all ask, we probably ask ourselves, why, you know, why is this such a command? Well, it's because it's a couple of reasons, I think. I, I, I think one is that when we respond to those who cause us pain or who cause us hurt, when we respond to these instances in a loving way, we open up the possibility that our enemies will experience conviction for what they're doing. That's what that whole thing about heaping burning coals on his head means. If we respond in the way that God expects us to respond, if we respond the way that Jesus commands us, teaches us to respond, there's always the possibility that this person or these people, whatever, they're going to be convicted about what they've done, right? And hopefully they can, they'll, they'll change something about that. They'll repent of that and, and, and they'll change. So I think that's one reason we got, we got this um, commandment. But secondly, secondly it's, it's for our benefit. It protects our hearts as well. It does not make our, it helps us, it protects us from developing calluses on our own hearts and the way that we feel about people. We're not going to be spiritually healthy if we're going around carrying a bunch of resentment towards folks. If we're going around, certainly, and I don't use this word lightly, or I try not to overuse this word, certainly if we're going around hating somebody or hating a particular group of people. That is, going to, that, is going, that is going to bruise us. That is, that is going to, 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 to cause us to fall so far away from, from, from God. It's to protect ourselves. It's to protect our own spirits, our own hearts, not to be overcome by evil, but instead by overcoming that evil with good. Jesus's now this is really cool. Jesus' instruction on how we are to respond to enemies, by the way, is the, exactly the opposite of what we find in our culture and in exactly the opposite of what our, we find in our world. Now, now that probably goes without saying. That's, you're probably saying, yeah, Pastor, we all, we all know that. But let's just say, call it what it is. In the world, you know, it's considered completely normal. It's considered completely acceptable even to retaliate when somebody is verbally, emotionally, or even physically uh, abusive towards us. It's this whole quid pro quo idea. That's the way of the world. That's the way of our culture. By contrast, however, Jesus prohibits his disciples, and he prohibits us from retaliating even when we've been wronged. Y'all remember this verse from Matthew chapter 5? I know all of you do. It's another one of those we, don't, we, it's another one of those we just kind of want to gloss over. We don't, we don't want to pay attention to this one. But here's something else Christ says. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, Jesus says, we should offer up our left now, there's a lot of thoughts about what that means, but it always helps to understand context. And this is, this is something we talked about during our Wednesday night Bible study, how to read the Bible, how, much, how important understanding context is when you're interpreting Scripture, how important, particularly understanding the history and the cultural context of that particular place at that particular time with those particular people. Because when you actually understand the context of what's going on here and the people that Jesus was talking to and the culture at the time, it, it, it really enhances the meaning and it draws that, that meaning out. You see, in first century Palestine... Come here, Kevin. Scott, I was going to pick on you, but you're sitting too far back. So y'all have all... y'all Did we? Did we do this? That's all right. We're going to do it again. Not everybody was here when I did it the first time. So me and you did it before? Of course, because I like to abuse Kevin. Um, <laughs> so y'all have seen the movies before. You know, y'all have seen, seen the television shows uh, where this has happened. Well, this, this, this was a standard practice 
um, during this time to the people that Jesus was talking to. Remember how the, the, the Jews and the Romans, of course, were, were harsh, harsh enemies. The Romans were oppressive, and I'll, I'll go into detail a little bit about that um, in a second. But it was common practice for, and this is where the right cheek and the left cheek come from. That's why I got Kevin up here. Most people are predominantly right-handed, right? I'm, I'm left-handed, but most I'm a weirdo, but most people are predominantly right-handed. It was common practice, okay, as a major, major, major insult for these Roman oppressors to approach these Jewish citizens and smack the crap out of them with the right, with the backside of their right hand on their right cheek. Okay, so that's where you thank you, Kevin. That's where we get the whole left cheek and, and right cheek thing that Christ is talking about here. Common practice. Uh, to, to these Jewish citizens, these Palestinian citizens, and it was a it was a it was a major insult to them. Humiliating, absolutely humiliating. So here's the thing: by offering up their left cheek when they were struck on their right, Jesus's Jewish disciples were refusing to accept the humiliation that was intended by that strike. Did y'all catch that? What I just said. Through Jesus' command to offer the other cheek, those Jewish disciples, number one, were refusing to accept the humiliation that was intended by that act. It basically would have been like saying this, if you're going to hit me, if you're going to strike me, you're going to do so as my equal and not as my superior. So between resorting to violence on the one hand and doing absolutely nothing on the other hand, Jesus kind of points his disciples to a third way. It's a way that disrupted the oppressive power structure that, that was subordinating the Jews to the Romans. A couple of things. This different kind of response, this third way response, as, as I called it, is loving to ourselves, to oneself, because we are refusing to be defined by the wrong that's done to us. Think how many times we victimize ourselves because of the way somebody has hurt us in some way, shape, or form. This third way response is loving to ourselves because we are refusing to to be defined by the wrong that's been done to us. But it's also loving to the one that's dishing out the oppression, the wrongdoer, because it exposes the wrongfulness of the person's action, and it opens up again the possibility that that person might be convicted, that they might repent of their actions, they might turn away from their wrongfulness. Heaping, burning coals, on their head. We kind of getting that now? A little bit? So as I mentioned earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, uh, while the world considers it normal to love friends and to hate enemies, disciples of Christ are to love, to pray for, and to do good for our enemies. And the way he wraps that scripture up, he says, so that you might be children of my Father in heaven. I didn't read this part earlier, but in the next sentence of that same verse, Jesus reminds us that God and, and that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, the just and the unjust. God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So let me just kind of combine that for you real quick. I'm going to look it up, make sure I get it right. Absolutely right. It don't take me long. I know where Matthew is. Don't let, ask me to look for Habakkuk. Forty-four and forty-five, chapter five, of Matthew. I, 
Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may, and here it is, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. That's the, that's the complete scripture that talks about that subject of loving our enemies. Um, what's all this stuff about the sun and the rain and the righteous and then the unrighteous? Remember, context. What was he just talking about? He was just talking about loving our enemies. And then he follows it up with this weird thing about the sun and the rain and the righteous and the unrighteous. What, what exactly does that mean? Jesus is saying that we make it clear to others that we are children of God. Remember, so that you may be children of God when we love the way that the Father loves. The sun warms people. The rain gets people wet regardless of whether they are evil or if they are good, whether they are righteous or if they are unrighteous. In short, what that means is that God loves indiscriminately. And this is precisely how God's children are called to love. And if you think this is a difficult pill to swallow, and it is a difficult pill to swallow, all of us got people we don't like, right? It's okay, I'll tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm the preacher, I don't, I'll tell you. I'm honest. Y'all can nod, don't lie. I can't get a laugh out of y'all for nothing today. I'm trying my best here, man. I'm trying my best. All of us got people we don't like. All of us have people that rub us the wrong way. All of us have people that, that we disagree with from time to time. This is a, we, a lot of us have people that have hurt us and caused us pain and harm in major, major, major ways. I understand that. This is a difficult pill to swallow. That's why I said in the beginning, this is probably the hardest command of Jesus for us to live out. So don't think for a second that I don't think this is difficult. It is. It, it, it is hard. But understand this again. It's, it would have been a lot harder for the people who were listening to Jesus say this for the first time. And that goes back all the way to what I said a second ago with our demonstration with Kevin. It goes back to context. Consider for a second the first people who were hearing this teaching. The first people who were hearing this commandment of Jesus. Consider what they were going through at the time. When Jesus uses that word enemies, love your enemies, to his first century Palestinian Jewish audience, the first thing that's going to come to their minds would have been the Romans. Again, who the Jews understandably, understandably despised. A little more background on that. Let me tell you, besides the backslapping that went on, Rome occupied Palestine at that time, and they, and they ruled the lands that they conquered by terrorizing the citizens, basically, into submission. Let me repeat it. Rome ruled the lands and the people that they conquered by terrorizing those citizens into submission. If any person or if any group posed a threat to the Roman rule, Rome would frequently respond by sending troops to whatever village that person happened to come from or whatever group whatever village that group happened to come from they would randomly they wouldn't necessarily do it to the person who had done this they would randomly round up people and they would they would crucify citizens on the hillside and they would leave them there for several days just to drive home their point this is what happens when you defy us when you dare to defy us this is who Jesus was telling these first century Jews And yet he does. He says, rather than hating or seeking revenge against their oppressors, they are to love them, they are to pray for them, and they are to do good for them. Now, church, I'm not the smartest person in the world, 
But if terroristic, terroristic enemies like Rome were not excluded from the class of enemies that we are called to love, then I'm going to have to believe, I'm going to have to know there are no enemies that could possibly be excluded from those we are called to love. We get upset and we get mad at people about some pretty minor stuff. Some of us justified, not denying that whatsoever. Some, some of us have deep, deep, deep hurt. But we also get offended really easy. You know, we also get mad about petty, mad at people, mad about mad, mad at groups about some pretty doggone petty stuff. I don't know the last time was when somebody came into our church or, or into our homes, rounded up our families and our friends and hung them up on a cross. That's who these folks were being told to love and pray for and do good for. So how do we apply that? How can we, how can we start applying that if not, if we're not already doing so? First of all, look for opportunities. They're everywhere. Look for them, look for them in, your, in your neighborhoods. Look for them in your workplace, in your schools. Look for opportunities to serve. And this is what this is big, to develop relationships. Develop relationships with people who are lonely, with people who are grieving, with people who are hungry, homeless, marginalized, depressed, otherwise in need, different than you, or best of all, just some person or some group of people that you generally just wouldn't care to be around. you got to make an intentional effort to do that. You have to make an intent. Don't turn the other way. Don't mumble under your breath. We have to make an intentional effort to do this. Set aside whatever negative judgments that you might have and simply agree. We could accomplish so much with this one little thing. If we could just get this one little thing into our minds and into every, to our souls and our hearts and to every fiber of being, we would see so much change around us. And it's so simple, so simple, yet it's so hard for us to carry this out. Set aside those negative judgments and simply agree with God that every single person that we encounter has immeasurable worth because they are created in the image of God. Because they too are a person or they are a people that Christ died for just as much as he died for me and just as much as he died for you guys. Secondly, we don't get good at anything if we don't practice it. That's why I said you got to be intentional with this stuff. We're not going to get good at it if we don't actually put these, this guidance into practice. And if ever, if ever there was a true statement, a, if ever that statement was true, it is certainly true. Um, with this request, with this commandment that strikes us as being profoundly counterintuitive. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. So yeah, we got to rely on God who, who will give us the gifts to do this. I didn't mention that. We are empowered to do this by the spirit that dwells in us. we got the choice whether or not we're going to follow that spirit, but we're empowered to do it. We also have to be intentional and, and recognize that, yeah, this is counterintuitive. This doesn't come natural to me. It doesn't come natural to me to love my enemies. But we've got to set aside those judgments. Church, we'll never learn how to love our enemies unless we are seeking those opportunities to do so. So considering that, it's really significant that Jesus instructs us to pray. I'm about to wrap up, but it's, it's really significant that Jesus instructs us to pray for our enemies and for our persecutors. Did y'all know this is the only single group that Jesus explicitly commands us to pray for? No other group. This is the only group in the Bible, in the Gospels, that Jesus explicitly 
commands us to pray for. And I don't know the mind of Jesus. I don't know the mind of God. But maybe, maybe, maybe that's because this is the group that's hardest for us all to pray for. So we've got to put it into practice. So that's what I'm going to challenge you guys to do. Commit to the practice of praying daily for those individuals or those groups that it would be much easier for you to love, that it would be much, that it would be much easier for you to hate than to love. However much you may disagree with their actions, however much you may disagree with their beliefs, again, agree with God that these are people who are immeasurably loved by God, who were the focus of Jesus' sacrifice just as much as we were the focus. Step out of that comfort zone and start cultivating those relationships. Y'all know, you know, I've, I've said this before. We're, we're humans. We're people. We got, just, just because we, got, we carry the moniker of Christian doesn't mean that we're anything special or that, we, uh, that we're, not, we're not subject to uh, shortcomings. All of, us, all of us are subject to shortcomings. And this is a difficult teaching, and, and, I, and, I, and I do get that. <clears throat> Seek out people that are different than you. That is such a big thing. We, we love, we, we love, it just comes natural to us, but we love to hang around. We love to associate with people who are like us. We love to associate with people who, 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 are, who are our same race, who are in our same economic bracket, who are in our same social class, those types of things, our same ethnicities, all, all of those. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. one time said that the most segregated hour in the United States was 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. That still remains true, doesn't it? We have to interact with people that are different than us, people who have different beliefs, people who think differently, look differently. That's, that, that's we, instead of avoiding them, because that's what we do, especially in the belief system. That's a big one. People that we disagree with socially, politically, uh, theologically, those types of things, those are big, 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 big barriers, huge barriers. Can't allow ourselves to do that. Can't allow ourselves to do that. Seek out those opportunities. Don't push those people away. Don't push those groups away. Don't push them to the side. Embrace them. Show the love of Christ. I'm going to open up the uh, altar right now. And uh, however, guys, however you guys choose to utilize this time, just, this is just a time for you guys to reflect and to respond in whatever manner you want to. If you'd like to spend just a couple minutes there in your pew uh, in prayer, talking to God for whatever reason, uh, that's what this time is for. And also, of course, the altar is open uh, for prayer. If you'd like me to pray to uh, pray for you, feel free to come up, and, and, I, and I would love to do that as well. So the altar is open.